Hey guys, it's Chris, and I'm here to tell you that today's episode is brought to you by The Real Rider. Move over Peloton. Now is time to experience the world's first moving stationary bike. You can sculpt your body with the incredible full body workout that is proven to burn 20% more calories than a standard stationary bike. Adding turns to your spin class takes your mobility and fitness to a whole new level. Become a better athlete and ride to our virtual classes that are fun and motivating. Order yours today at www.realridercanada.ca. That's R-Y-D-E-R. So www.realridercanada.ca. Now, let's start the damn show. This is Jerome McGinley, and you're listening to Get the Puck Out. Guys, welcome to another episode of Get the Puck Out, presented by TarpsOffHockey.net. I'm joined, as always, by Kyle O'Howe, but with TarpsOffHockey.net launching this week, we wanted to have some big guests on, and I don't think it gets much bigger than this guy. We're talking five-time Stanley Cup champion, two-time winner of the uh, the Canada Cup, and uh, Hockey Hall of Famer Grant Fuhr. How are you today, Grant? I'm doing good. How about you guys? Yeah, everything's good. Just uh, hanging in here. I'm in, uh, we're both in the Niagara Falls region of Canada. So, you know, we're getting into that phase two of uh, the coronavirus stuff here. So uh, more stuff's opening up, but uh, it was quite a strange few months there. Now, whereabouts are you, Grant? How's everything down where you are? I'm down in Palm Springs, California. So we've kind of gone through that. They're starting to lock things back down again. So standard circus. Yeah, so I guess we won't be too far behind because, yeah, now you're starting to really see here. People don't care that much, but obviously coronavirus really affected um, everything as far as the NHL world goes. Now we have ourselves a new format for the playoffs. First off, I want to get your take on the 24-team format before we get into the draft lottery the other night and then more stuff about you. Uh, What do you think of the format to finish the season? I think it's interesting. I mean, it's going to allow some teams that probably shouldn't have made the playoffs to have a chance. And you're sort of unlucky if you run into a team like Montreal where you get a hot and healthy carry price or you run into the three-headed monster in New York with Lundquist, Georgioff, and um, forget the third gentleman's name now. Yeah, that's, yeah. Uh, it doesn't seem like it matters who you really throw in there. I mean, any of those guys seems capable and they've got the talent up front. Like, Panarin was a huge signing, but they stole Mika Zabinijad from the Ottawa Senators, and he has turned into a dynamite number one center. And as you're right, a team like the Rangers, who maybe shouldn't have been in there, suddenly look like a team that I don't want to play in a playing round. Oh, no, you got a best of five. The last thing you want to do is run into a team that's got a hot goalie. And you look at those two teams, they're – you got yourself more than your hands full. Yeah, you have a fighting chance, especially if you're the Montreal Canadiens. I mean, um, maybe the stats aren't always there because of the team around them, but every year the players' consensus number one goalie in the NHL is Carey Price. I know the stats don't always lean that way, and he doesn't play on the greatest team in the world. Uh, would you say that's true, being the, uh, the goalie guru? Would you say Carey Price is the pound-for-pound uh, pound best goalie in the NHL? I think he is right now. I mean... You look at any number of goalies in the league right now. You run into a team like Philly. Carter Hart can get hot. Yeah. So, I mean, there's there's a lot of goalies that with some time off now and healthy, could be an interesting playoff. 
Yeah, I think me and Chris both agreed that Philly's that kind of team that might not look as dangerous, but there are real deep threat going into this, especially if Carter Hart gets hot. And, and, and as you mentioned with Carey Price, uh, you know, even, even on a down year where the team misses the playoffs, the, the NHL player still has their vote. And every year it comes back and it's Carey Price has voted the best goalie in the year. So, I, I mean, when you look at their team, yes, Shea Weber looks good. Um, they've, they've got some missing parts. But as you mentioned, in a five-game series, and, and especially in a sport like hockey, anything truly can happen. Uh, Grant, I, I wanted to ask you, because we just had uh, the Hockey Hall of Fame induct their four players, uh, and, and a guy like Kevin Lowe gets the nod. Uh, obviously a huge piece of all five cups. Uh, in Edmonton. Now, if you're looking at his points alone, obviously you're not going to understand the full picture, but how important it was a guy like him uh, to the, to winning five cups. And uh, what did you think about his induction into the hall of fame? I think it's fabulous that he got in one. He deserves to be in. I mean, anytime, what's he seven, eight time all-star he's got six Stanley cups Mm -hmm. and he's a heart and soul guy. And that's the thing that fans don't see is the heart and soul in the dressing room. You don't see the commitment that he has on and off the ice, more importantly, where he's one, he's a great person too. And yes, there's guys that have way better numbers and such, but at the same time, there's winning, which you can never discount winning. Mm -hmm. He he was the base of our defense in Edmonton on a team that didn't play defense. So (laughs) they they get zero credibility. Him, Lee Fogelin, guys like that got zero credibility for the good defense that they played because we didn't play defense. So <laughs> that's the part that gets overlooked. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, that was the era. It was high scoring. It was high flying five Stanley cups, two Canada cups. Um, I want to bring you back to the Canada cup. Obviously there was the big uh, goal. Everyone remembers the Lemieux over to Gretzky finished it off. But right before that, I was going back watching some highlights. You made about a 10 bell safe. Um, what was it like playing on that team? Like getting to play, like not only with Wayne and Metz and those guys, but then having Mario and everybody else involved. Like that, what was that like? Just obviously you're, you're, you're a great amongst them, but what was the atmosphere like in that locker room during that tournament? You know, it's awesome. Anytime you get a chance to play with the best players in the world, it's phenomenal. I mean, I was lucky enough at Edmonton where we had five or six of the best players in the world on an everyday basis. But you get to get together with that group for a couple of months and you just realize how much talent there is in the league. I mean, just some of the guys that didn't make that team tells you how good a team that really was. So, I mean, that's the fun part is it's such a good group of guys. One, everybody played out of position and sometimes – but they would do anything to win. And you get talent that wants to do anything to win, they're hard to beat. Definitely. Um, I remember the big name, uh, for at least I know I was, I was born in 1990, so everything I talk about, Grant, <laughs> is on film. Uh, but Paul Coffey was the, the high-flying. Uh, he was the guy everyone looked at on the defense. And as you're right, uh, as you go back to Kevin Lowe, maybe the guy where if you're looking at the stats, doesn't look like that, but obviously a huge part of the team. Um, who is really the, the, the glue on that Canada Cup team? Uh, obviously, Gretzky and, and, and Mario are, are going to be the centerfold. They kind of carried. Uh, but was there a particular player who really kind of binded that group together? I, everybody had a good understanding of what had to be done, what needed to be done. But I would say Mark Messier was probably the real glue guy. I mean, Mess is one of those good vocal leaders. And we had guys 
that played on championship teams, that played for different teams that were leaders on their teams. So we had no shortage of leaders in that dressing room. That's awesome. And Grant, I know that you uh, obviously played a, a lot in the NHL. You played uh, between some different teams. But I know when you went to Buffalo, um, you went into a leadership role too and mentored a young Dominic Hasek that people forget about. What was it like, you know, obviously being – um, such a huge success and having uh, like, you know, the statistics and the numbers behind you to go in and take care of a guy like Dominic Hasek and get him on the right trajectory. What was he like kind of coming into his first year? Was he super like receptive to the help or like uh, in Buffalo or, or how was he to deal with as far as being like a mentor role? You know what? Dom was a great goalie before I ever got to Buffalo. I think people forget that. that we saw him playing the Canada Cups where he played for the Czech team and was phenomenal in the Canada Cups. And then when he got to Chicago, when he was allowed to play in Chicago, he played great. It's just he never really got an opportunity. So when I got to Buffalo, I knew how good Dom was. And it was just a matter of him getting an opportunity to show people how good he really was. That's awesome. That's awesome. And I mean, you look back at it now, one of the great goalies to ever uh, lace up the pads in Dominic Hasek. You've been amongst all the great players uh, in the entire league, man. That's pretty cool. Uh, really fortunate, obviously, to have played as long as you did too. Now, when you see the way that the new game is and all the rule changes and you came from an era, obviously, that was a lot more physical than the brand of hockey that goes on today. Are you a fan of the way that the game has progressed and changed since your time? Or do you think it's missing a little bit of that, uh, that, 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 that physicality that used to reign supreme back in your era? I, I still like the physicality part of it, but I like the way the new game's going also. I think they're trying to get back to an offensive theory of hockey again, where in the 80s it was run and gun. I think you're starting to see more run and gun now. So with the hooking and holding take, being taken away and such, you're going to see more and more offense, and fans love goals. So it's fun to watch. Yeah, I've always seen the NHL as a bit of a, a, a copycat league where every team tries to mimic, uh, you know, we've we seen Chicago uh, become a dynasty uh, not too long ago and, and really kind of started changing and adapting the ways that players built. And then when St. Louis won last year, almost every team kind of took a step back and said, okay, they just won with banging bodies and, and, and throwing everything at, at, at against the Bruins. And they obviously played uh, Dallas and their other series as well. Uh, but then you started to see teams this year really kind of take that step towards, okay, we need to add some more meat and potatoes. We need to get stronger. We need those guys. Uh, so it, it, do you think the NHL has always been a copycat league, uh, even back from your time? Well, you know what? People like to see success and they want to know what caused success and they'll follow it. I mean, we were a little bit different in Edmonton. We wanted to be high flying and offensive right out of the gate. and Nobody had done it at that time. So we kind of went about it our own way. And after that, you saw teams try and play offense with us. You saw teams try and shut us down and play good defense. When New Jersey won, everybody wanted to shift more to a defensive system of yeah. things. So, yeah, teams are going to try and copy success. St. Louis last year went to the four lines where they could just roll guys over and over and over again and would just beat you with consistency. Now you're seeing a lot of teams trying to build those third and fourth lines so that they can throw them out at any given time so that they can play with the four-line teams. Yeah, you're really seeing, like, because the, the, Craig Berube, I, who I thought really had a short leash when he spent his time with the Flyers, uh, you really just seen the trust he had in, in throwing out Oscar Sunfisk, Sammy Blaze, some of these guys on those bottom lines. Uh, but you've seen the amount of energy that even O'Reilly had 
because, you know, no team was playing 25, 30 minutes a game. They were rolling out those four lines like no one else. And they had the energy and the physicality every single time they were out on the ice, probably because of that. It is. It's a little bit of the old school thinking that you have to have four lines that can play. I mean, in Edmonton, we had four lines that could play. And a lot of the teams we played against in the first few rounds, like Calgary, Winnipeg, all had four lines that could play. When we got to play against the Islanders, four lines. Against Philly, four lines. So it's kind of a throwback to that where you have to have the four lines that can play. You maybe not have the stars. I mean, we were lucky enough in Edmonton, we had five or six of the stars. But you see the good teams, they may not have that one big star, but they've got 14 guys that are great hockey players. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, definitely. Um, Chris, going into the draft, uh, but before we hop in there, I, I wanted to kind of get the connecting piece here. The Kings made a big jump in the draft, and they're going to draft number two. Uh, now, going back in, in recent history, they've obviously got Drew Doughty at two overall, but you go way back when, Jimmy Carson was second overall, and he was involved in obviously probably the biggest hockey Just a little trade. in the world at the time. <laughs> um, and now, was he a big part? And coming over, because he had instant success. I mean, his first couple seasons, he banged out a couple hundred points uh, years. So it's not like he went unnoticed. Uh, but what was it like after trading Gretz, where obviously the next year it was a bit of a step back, a little bit of a regroup, but to come back together as a group in 89 uh, and win that last Stanley Cup without Gretz, uh, what was the feeling in, in, in the mentality in that room uh, to build around and obviously without the greatest to ever play in 99. Uh, how did the team come back in 89 to, to win that fifth cup? You know what? We knew we were a good hockey team still. We just had to go out and prove it. And it's a matter of everybody looking at themselves and being a little bit better. And that's what the guys did is that we went out, recommitted ourselves and we were guys had a chip on their shoulder to prove that we were still a good hockey team and we could win no matter who was in that dressing room. That's awesome, man, though. That's a, that's a great uh, little insight to the team. And obviously when uh, Messier, too, just such a vocal leader, you brought that up. And, and I think he obviously – did you notice anything with him? Did he have to step into an even bigger role uh, as far as taking over the leadership of the team? Or was that like a difficult transition or did that come natural? No, I mean, we, we, had, we were lucky. We had two leaders. You had Wayne, who kind of led by example, and you had Messi, who was our vocal leader. So for Mess to step into that role of still being the vocal leader, it didn't change at all. So the dynamic didn't change. Mess was still our leader when it came to being vocal and led by example on the ice also. That's really think, awesome. Uh, Chris, uh, going back to the, to the lottery draft, and Grant, I want your opinion on this as well. Uh, what are your thoughts on the team that isn't even announced yet that's going to be winning first <laughs> overall? That's just weird. <laughs> It's interesting. I'll get that. I mean, it used to be if you were the worst team, you got the first pick. And now it's a little more complicated. So I do I like it? It's different. I haven't, I haven't really decided whether I like it or not yet. A team that could roll into the playoffs or has a chance to make the playoffs gets the first pick. So are you punishing teams that are bad enough that they didn't make the playoffs? That's the part that I'm not quite sure about. Yeah, when, when you look at the raw percentages now, like all these teams will have around 12.5%, and at the beginning of the draft lottery, what is it? Uh, Detroit, when you, when you first start out, what do you have, 18% or 20%? So like, 19, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So you actually 
almost have as good of a chance and you get to play five playoff games. I mean, that's very strange to me, but like you said, it keeps things interesting. Um, and like, this is obviously unprecedented times, which would cause for a lot of unprecedented solutions like this five game play in round and like the way that the draft lottery happened to go. Um, I think people kind of need to bear with the league a little bit here because everybody's solely focused on getting this thing back on and getting the, the, uh, the product at least back on the ice for people to watch. So, um, do you think we're going to be able to get, uh, get, get this thing up and running here? I know that the coronavirus outbreak is kind of spiked back up in the United States and uh, we've seen the NBA, the NHL, a lot of the other leagues have a few guys test positive. You think they're going to be able to make this work? I'd say it's probably 50, 50. I mean, for as much as I would like to see it happen, you have to make sure the players are safe first and foremost. So at this point I would give it about a 50, 50 chance. Yeah. My big question was what happens if they can't finish the season, but it seems like the NHL already has a plan for that where the eight bottom wild card teams that did get in, they would be entered uh, at a 12 and a half percent chance each uh, to get a shot at first overall. It just seemed um, a, a little strange not to have the bottom seven teams fight for first overall. And then, you know, if a playing team makes a jump, let them get second overall or third overall. I mean, I don't think any of those teams would be complaining, but it really seemed out of that first overall, we know we're going to get a superstar and Lafreniere at the draft. Uh, hard to kind of make comparables, but, uh, you know, the, the greatest thing to come out of the queue since Crosby. And um, it really seemed like one of the deserving teams was, was a Buffalo or a Detroit uh, or, you know, one of those teams that like Ottawa, even, you know, like they, they've gone through how the past couple of years and with ownership and, and financial terms it, for one of those teams to land a superstar and, and Lafreniere seemed almost fitting. And then now it's just kind of classic NHL where, you know, suddenly <coughs> we're going to see a team like maybe Pittsburgh or, or, you know, it'd be fitting for Montreal, but one of those teams who, again, just, I don't know, maybe to me didn't deserve that. Oh, it's kind of fitting for 2020. It's kind of been an upside down year. So <laughs> exactly. It's only totally fitting that something like that happens in 2020. No, exactly. Well, Grant, listen, man, we appreciate you coming by. I don't want to eat up a ton of your time. Um, it was really great just sitting down, talking to you, getting your insight on what's going on here. Um, any uh, sort of projects or anything you're working on right now in the meantime while you're locked up quarantine? No, I've got three ice starting next year. So we'll be getting ready to gear up and start coaching one of the teams there. But until then, just hoping that COVID finally goes away and life can get back to a little bit of normalcy. Yeah, for sure. And for, from a pure business point alone, uh, you see people out there seeing the Corona cases start to pop up. And then a lot of people's first reaction is cancel the season, shut it down. And I, I don't think it's as simple as that. Like I said, from a business point, there's a lot of teams whose team owners have not only been affected financially outside of their sporting teams, but now you've got, you know, owners who aren't making any money off without hockey played. And we know there's not, not going to be any fans. So ticket sales are obviously going to be uh, another big part of that. So my main point here is that for the NHL to continue forward, a lot of people might think it's, it, it's stupid or it's rushed, but they have to try to find a business model, not to only work for this summer, but going into next season, because it doesn't seem like this thing is just going to magically go away anytime soon. No, I mean, it's a way more complicated process than even most people know. There's so many different variables that have to work into the equation. You've got a TV contract you've got to think of. 
Mm-hmm. You've got a CBA between the players and the owners coming up that you've got to think of. You've got to think of, okay, if there's no fans, well, most of the revenue for hockey teams come from fans. So there's another variable that's going to go into the mix. you got to make sure the safety of the players. There's another variable. Yeah. So Especially a- because this is a respiratory issue, right? Like, and the, I mean, there's no sport like hockey that, that you need your cardiovascular uh, to be at its best, right? Your cardiovascular system. So yeah, definitely. Uh, there's a million variables to that go into this that, like you said, people aren't aware of because I've even heard that they might need to negotiate the CBA to even be able to get next year done. Well, you heard what Panarin said. He doesn't yeah, and, I mean, that's the interesting part is if this season doesn't go, you've got a CBA that's got to get done before next year even starts up. So there's another variable that most people haven't even looked at yet. Yeah. I've seen Ryan Kessler get pretty vocal on things too. I know he's uh, not playing any longer, but uh, obviously uh, a, a huge player in the way that he kind of manned that, uh, that hatred when he stepped on the ice, no matter who he was going uh, against, whether it be Crosby or, uh, Patrice Bergeron, as Chris is kind of famous with, uh, that big victory in uh, 2011 over Vancouver. Um, but w- with this whole thing kind of happening and without really a known solution in place, like, again, the NHL has got to try, if not to finish this season, uh, they have to try even just to get an idea of how they're going to navigate into next season. So it- it's important that they kind of go through this process uh, and, and if it falls on its face, which there's a decent chance it might, they have to learn from that mistake and what went wrong and what they need to do better. So I, I think it's imperative that they go through the motions here. Uh, and, and obviously, as long as safety is a, is a top priority. Oh, definitely. They've definitely got to go through all the different preparations and everything because you don't know if this is going to be here next year when the season does start. So it's better they get through it all now, figure out the right protocols, to make sure everybody's safe and that the game can be successful. That's awesome. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, Grant, I don't want to take up too much of your time. I know uh, it's probably busy time right now when there's not so much content going on. Everybody's uh, around talking to you, bugging you. And uh, we just appreciate you coming on, my friend. Uh, Five Stanley Cups, two Canada Cups. Uh, You were a goalie coach in Arizona, just an absolute legend of the game and a top 100 voted player of all time. Grant Fear, thank you so much for taking time to drop by Get the Puck Out. It's my pleasure. Guys, have a good day. Take care.